Good morning. Look at somebody and say, it's good to see you. Now, don't lie to them like you did last week. Mean it this time, all right? Hey, we're so glad that you're joined with us. My name's Sam. I have the great privilege of being the lead pastor here at Crossroads Church. And what that means is every single week, I try to tell the greatest story ever told. Now, not because I'm some great communicator or it's even my story, but I believe this story is a story about Jesus, and Jesus is the greatest person to ever walk the face of the planet. I actually believe he's more than just a person. I believe he's God in the flesh. And so if you've ever asked the question, what is God like? You don't have to look any further than the person of Jesus. And we believe the Bible is this story about Jesus. We say this around here. We say it's all about We wrote it on the wall if you need some help. And what that means is you're going to need a Bible to follow along. And so uh, if you forgot your Bible, uh, one of our ushers can get one to you. You can borrow one of ours. So just slip up your hand and they'll get one to you. And um, if you don't have a Bible, that's our gift to you. Take it, read it every single day because every time you do, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen? Hey, we just want to welcome you if you're gathered with us online. Uh, I saw on there just a a bit ago, there's about 60 people right now or more gathered online. And those aren't just random people. Those are people that call Crossroads home and they're uh, watching from uh, somewhere else or they're using it supplementally because sick or traveling. And so we just want to welcome you. You can find the sermon note sheet in the drop down beside of you. On the screen, you can just hit notes there. If you're at the Lompoc campus, we're so glad that you're gathered. Maybe you didn't realize at 213 North J Street right now, there's a gathering of people there with Pastor Tyler and Becca. And so if if you're at the Lompoc campus or here in Buellton and you need one of those sermon note sheets, you can slip your hand up as well and one of our ushers will get one to you. That's going to help you. And just for future reference as we go through the book of Revelation, uh, you're going to have sermon notes. Sometimes they'll have some fill in the blanks. Sometimes it'll be completely blank so you can take your own notes. And then on the back, that's what we're doing, build your own small groups. We want to encourage you to get together after the sermon, discuss the sermon. They're sermon-based, so all you have to do is experience the sermon, and now you're an expert on everything that you're going to talk about. And... uh, And so you can gather together in your homes with other families. Uh, You can do it after uh, school drop-off, go to a coffee shop uh, and gather together and uh, use these to further your relationship with Christ. Amen? Hey, turn in your Bible to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 1. It's at the back of the book, if you're unfamiliar with it. Revelation chapter 1 starting in verse 9. And just before I read, uh, I want to take a moment and uh, I I just want to go to the Lord and in prayer. Um, Our community is facing uh, many things. Um, Many of uh, families in the community are mourning and Uh, They're facing tragedy, and we want to pray for them. But also, uh, there's families in our church who have loved ones who are overseas serving our country, and they are um, brave men and women who love Jesus, who are uh, standing for truth and justice. And we just want to pray for them uh, as they are in harm's way. We want to pray for peace. We want to pray peace for families that are here Larry, Julie, we're praying uh, for your son, 
and we just want to join with them as many folks in our world are dealing with trouble. But here's what um, Jesus says in John 16, 33. In this life, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And together, our, our hope is in the person of Jesus Christ. And so will you just join me in prayer for these families who are facing so much that the peace of God would guard their hearts in Christ Jesus. Jesus, we love you. <clears throat> we just ask for your grace this morning. Um, we thank you that you are a God who is our ever-present help in the time of need. You're not absent from our troubles. We don't serve a God who is distant. We have, serve a God who is incarnate with us. God with us. You came and lived with us, and now you have sent the gift of the Father, the Holy Spirit, to be with us. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would comfort these families. Families who are praying for their loved ones. Families who are overseas serving. Jesus, I pray for truth and justice to prevail and the peace of God which transcends understanding to guard their hearts. And we thank you for those families who are mourning the loss of a friend, a loved one here in our community. We just pray that you would be with them and you do something supernatural in their hearts. That those who believe in the Lord Jesus, who has conquered death, we see life and death fundamentally different. And we thank you that you would bring hope and joy, bring the right people around to bring encouragement, to love on them, to bring goodness to them. We ask for this in your name, the precious name of Jesus. Let it bring glory to you and good to this valley. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, <clears throat> amen. Look at Revelation 1, starting in verse Nine, bear with me with my voice this morning. I'm going to try to uh, not yell as much as I normally do. Um, some of you are like, yeah, all right. And some of you are like, oh, man, really? Uh, <clears throat> so look at uh, verse 9. It says, <clears throat> I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamon, and to Thyatira, Thyatira and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea, then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands was one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs on his head were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. 
But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Jesus, we love you. We ask for your grace. Help us with this passage. Help us to peer into this book to see you more clearly for your glory and the good of this valley. And everyone said, amen. Well, we started the book of Revelation and afterwards in the lobby, someone came up to me and was like, you're brave. And I was like, or stupid. Uh, and and yet, that, that's kind of the sense that we get when we open this particular book is some of us have been afraid of this book. It's too scary. Uh, it's too hard to navigate. It's like a maze that we have to kind of uh, navigate through. And or, or maybe people, you've just felt like there's nothing practical in this particular book. I'll, I'll stay to the epistles. I'll look at the gospels because that's where I see Jesus. That's where I see the love of God. That's where I see the gospel. But as for the book of Revelation, we'll leave it to the spooks and the kooks. And, and yet, we talked about last week that the opening parts of this particular book has a blessing in it. That It says, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. That there's a blessing that comes to us, that we're blessed by the words that we hear. Blessed is the one who reads aloud, blessed is the one who hears, but all the more blessed is the one who actually hears and does something with what they hear. The book of James, the half-brother of Jesus, says, don't be a hearer of the word only, but be a doer of the word. The person who hears only is like someone who looks in a mirror and then walks away from that mirror forgetting getting what they look like. And yet the, the book begins to open for us and it causes us to have a different perspective. The word of God uh, touches us in ways that we did not expect. Oftentimes when you read the Bible, it's as if the Bible is reading you more than you're reading it. One of the reasons why we go through books of the Bible rather than just sermon series on, uh, on marriage or on family or on on money. Essentially, uh, churches have come up with about seven different topics that they'll rotate and rebrand and use different books and deal with these seven topics. But here's the reality is the Bible begins to bring up things you didn't know needed to be brought up. And I can tell you that the Bible contains far more than just seven topics that we need to deal with. It brings things that we hadn't thought about, that we hadn't considered, that ultimately steer our belief system and belief drives our behavior. What you think about the world, the old adage is true that your thoughts become your words, your words, your actions, your actions, your habits, 
Your habits will become what you're known for, your character. Your character will drive ultimately your future, your destiny. It will be what keeps you or sustains you or moves you forward. But all of that starts with a a mindset, a changing of what's in our mind. Be not conformed, as Romans says, to the patterns of this world. Think about that passage that says, don't be locked in to the patterns. And yet, so easily, we get locked into the patterns of this world. Now, now you, could ju- you could just change it. You could say, don't get locked into the algorithm of your social media feed. Someone say, oh, no to that. Right? <clears throat> like, how does it know that I wanted that? Like, how did it know that it, like, one, it's listening. Anyways, uh, and... Uh, and yet we could get so locked into patterns, predictable patterns of mindsets. Right now, what can get locked in is fear and anxiety and depression. The pattern that when we see the world and global events and we scroll social media feeds, and I'm not sure that we were ever able or meant to know every single problem going on around the world, and yet we have a desire. It's almost like a garden of Eden moment where the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. See, you're not omnipresent. You're not all places at all times. You're not omniscient. You don't know everything. Remember that little practice that we did last week? Remember that? Where we all admitted that we don't know everything? Some of you have already forgotten. And and yet we need to remind ourselves that we, we're not omniscient, we're not omnipresent, and, that, and yet the moment you put a device in your hand, the moment you, you put a social media feed, the, most, the moment you put chat GBT, you think that you are everywhere at all times with all perspectives, knowing all things. Can we just say this together? We don't know everything. Someone say amen to that. And so not allowing yourself to be locked into the patterns or the algorithm, not being trapped by uh, constantly uh, looking for your own voice coming out of somebody else's mouth, looking for confirmation bias in those around us. And here's the solution to that. We talked about it in Ephesians, that we have pastors and leaders and teachers and, and, and the prophets and the apostles to speak the truth in love. What is the truth? The truth of God's word revealed to us about the person of Jesus and that transforms our minds. This passage in the book of Romans says, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your Mind. So when we open this book, when we read the words aloud, when we don't just hear them, but we put into practice what is laid before us, we are renewing our mind. We are changing our beliefs. We are solidifying our faith. We are standing firm on the firm foundation. It starts with our mind, which changes everything about us. That's why we're going to constantly look to the word. We're going to peer into the scriptures. We're going to deal with passages that others will not. We're not going to say we know 
know everything. We're not just going to look and say, well, I've got that part figured out and not actually wrestle with the text and go, where did I get that belief? Where did I get that mindset? How do I constantly look to the scriptures to renew my mind? Because in it, there is a blessing for those who will hear it and do it. And ultimately, this blessing is to see Jesus more clearly. The blessing that comes is that you actually gaze on the beauty and wonder of who Jesus is is. I was recently in a class and a cohort of pastors and uh, led uh, by a, a retired pastor who's been pastoring for more than 50 years. And uh, his name was Guy Gray. And, and, and he, he began to talk and it was life-giving for me because he talked about sermons. And, 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 and so oftentimes what we're looking in our modern culture is we're looking for the application at the end of the sermon. Sometimes we're looking for this doing part because we want to we want to be honest. We want to hear and we want to do. And so oftentimes we're looking for, okay, pastor, get uh, yeah, 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 that's all well and good, but what do I do with that? And yet we've been we've caught up in that pattern. Cuz sometimes the only thing to do is to behold who he is. Sometimes doing something is gazing at a sunset. Sometimes doing something is standing in front of the vastness of the Grand Canyon. Sometimes doing something is gazing into the eyes of your wife. Sometimes doing something, the practical application here is to behold, to ponder, to think on, to meditate, and know that that begins to change the innermost parts of our being, which drive our behavior. As we look in the book of Revelation, we have to remember what this book is truly all about. This book is all about... Oh, you can do a little better than that. This book is all about Jesus. It says in the opening line, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Revelation is this word that comes uh, in the Greek is apocalypsis, to uncover something that was hidden to reveal for us, like a bride having her veil, uh, her veil pulled over and, and revealing her face. You know, why is it that we think that apocalypse is the end of the world? And the husbands will go, because on that day, my world ended. <laughs> Some of you guys were afraid to laugh at that one. Uh, that's a good joke. Uh, and, and yet... It means to uncover what was once hidden. And yet in it, we have things that we need to think through. We, there is prophecy. Who It says in verse 3, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And so it is to uncover who Jesus is and what he is doing. To reveal for us that we can ponder, we can behold We can fall at his feet and worship. We can wrestle with the mystery of who God is. Can can I I just help you out just for a moment? Uh, 
I, I hardly ever say, hey, you just need to understand this or here's what you got. Like, like, like I cringe every time I hear a pastor go, here's what you need to do. Here's what you need to understand as if they have all understanding. <laughs> Anyways, uh, and let me just, let me help you for a moment. If your theology, theology is this word, which means what do you believe about God? The study of theology is the study of God. And so your theology, if it has led you to a place where you have God figured out, then it's fundamentally bad theology. Let me say that again. If your theology is if all your Sunday school lessons, all your Bible baby and felt bored kid moments and, and all your reading has led you to a place where you have all the answers and, and, and you know all the Bible trivia and anytime someone is pondering and wrestling with and specifically in the middle of difficult situations. See, that is the moments where we as Christians, because we feel as though we have it figured out and we have all the answers. Sometimes we, we, we barge into moments as if we're the hero rather than causing people to ponder on the great champion, Jesus Christ. And we come in with all the answers. And I can just tell you that if your theology, your Bible reading, your upbringing has led you to a place where you think you have God figured out, then it's fundamentally bad theology. That there is mystery to him. That you could follow the person of Jesus for all of eternity and you will never plunge the depths of who he is. And that sometimes the practical application for you in this moment, in your Bible reading, in your study, is to sometimes to gaze on the wonder of who Jesus is and wrestle with the mystery of God and you being his creation. That's good preaching. Thank you, Pastor Sam. Amen. Hallelujah. It's because I wasn't yelling or stomping my foot in that moment, right? And so uh, that being the intro uh, to this sermon, uh, let, let's, let's talk about how we view this particular passage. In your sermon note sheet, I, I've listed uh, some different views of interpretation on the book of Revelation. See, one of the things that you're going to have to lay down is what you previously maybe thought about this particular book. Now, maybe it just confirms what you already thought. Now, here's what I want to say is that when you look at the scriptures, particularly this book, which is very difficult at times, one of the most difficult books to interpret, and yet there are people who have studied this and there are people who love Jesus who have many different views of this book. Let me say that again because you're going to need that and you're going to have to remind yourself that you don't know everything and that means they don't know everything. And when you point back and forth and you start to argue over what you know about it, be humble in your pursuit. Amen? Amen. And so... There are people who love Jesus and are faithful Christians who have many different views of the book of Revelation. I just want to lay before you a few of those views because most of us think there's one way to view it. And if you've grown up in church since particularly in the last 50 to 60 years and you've been considered evangelical or conservative Christian, you have only been taught one way to view 
this particular book. And someone goes, oh no, Pastor Dan, what do you, what do you mean? I am a conservative Christian, right? I, I, I want to I read the Bible to the fullest extent, and I want to read it in its literal interpretation. Now, what do you mean by literal? The other day, uh, my three-year-old came up to me, and, and, sh- and she said, where's mommy? Which is always the question at my house. No one's like, where's daddy? I could be gone for a couple of days. They're like, well, where's that guy who hangs out here? from time to time. But my three-year-old comes to me and goes like, where's mommy? And I was like, she ran to the store. And she was like, she didn't drive. <laughs> like, what are you, she, she ran to the store. She, she didn't drive. I mean, for the three-year-old, she's like, what do, you, what do you mean? Like her brain is not able to understand analogy and symbols and and, and just the nuance of communication, everything is quite literal. But here's the problem. She literally ran to the store, but she also drove. So she literally, with haste, went to the store, hopped in her car, and we know that to be, like, there's, there's levels to literalism and how we view this. And we know that to be true in our everyday interactions with our friends and with our family. And then somehow we've been taught that everything in this book has to be taken at face value, literally. And if you do that, you're gonna miss what the text is actually laying before me. Let me give you an example. The Bible in the Old Testament says God is a rock. Now, I know if I say that, you walk out of here and you're picking up stones. You're like, man, all right. Uh, God, are you in there? I don't know, like, come on, man. Like, what, what, do you, what do you mean God is a rock? He literally is a rock that we stand on. Do you understand the metaphor here, the symbolism? Now, this book is full of symbols. It's full of imagery. It's also full of things that are literally going to, have happened, are happening, and are going to happen. And so just like when I say to my daughter, my wife ran to the store and she drove in her car, that literally happened. And I use a metaphor of her running and I use a, a form of language that's very common for us. And you get the point. So here's what I want to lay before you so you can understand that at different times in the book of Revelation, we have to wrestle with how we see these passages. The four views are this, the preterist view. In your sermon note sheet, you can write this down or you can look these views up, use these as a tool to study these different views, to look at what people view. Now, this view is probably most accepted by most scholars. And at some of the the leading uh, academic institutions, their view of Revelation is gonna be a preterist view. And there's full preterist views, there's partial preterist views. And the preterist view is this, that the book of Revelation is a unique genre of Jewish and Christian writings that is called apocalyptic literature. It is a unique genre of Jewish and Christian writings 
that we would call apocalyptic literature. Meaning that in order to understand this book, you have to understand ancient apocalyptic literature, particularly from Jewish writers. That they would use certain forms and certain languages, certain patterns to communicate certain things. And ultimately, the the preterist view doesn't view all of the things in Revelation as prophecy, because that's not what it's uh, trying to accomplish. The preterist view is this idea that ancient Jewish writers, much like the book of Daniel, uh, Zechariah, Ezekiel, some of Isaiah, um, that these writers of prophecy, that they would talk about immediate events and they would, they would feel the impending doom of what was happening in the moment. Daniel writing uh, about uh, events with Persia coming after he's already in exile in Babylon. And now uh, Persia is coming. And if you read the book of Daniel, Daniel talks about this prince, the prince of Persia. But then as he talks about the prince of Persia, in the immediate sense, he begins to presume on his eschatological implications. Now, that's a big, heavy academic word, and I'm glad I said it correctly. All right, all right, all right. You're going to hear me use this word over the next several weeks, which is this word eschatology. Eschatology in the realm of theology is the study of last things, of final things. How do you think all of this is going to wrap up? And all of us, our belief systems drive our behaviors, and oftentimes we think about the present in light of the future, and so many of us have a personal eschatology. We have a personal belief system about the future and how things are going to wrap up. Now, Daniel and many of the writers, like those who believe that Revelation is in this preterist-like genre, is that when they wrote these visions or these symbols, they saw it in the immediate, but they also saw it as in a type or a foreshadowing of what would happen in the future. And so a preterist view of Revelation is that they would see many of the imagery in the book of Revelation, the beast in chapter 13, they would view that as Rome. And that the prophets, uh, the, the priests of Asia were turning towards emperor worship and godlike worship. And that's why John would even say things like, I tell you about the coming Antichrist, I tell you he has come and there are many more coming. What he would see is that he would see the immediate present work or what he was seeing in the immediate also had final and eschatological implications. That would be a preterist view, is that this is a unique genre and that in order to understand it, you have to look back at other Jewish writings. The next one would be a historical view. The historical view is a symbolic prophecy of the entire history of the church. The historical view is that they would view Revelation and genres like this 
as a picture of all that has happened in the church age and unfolding. Many of those who have a historic interpretation of the book of Revelation, when we get to chapter two uh, in the coming weeks and we talk about the letters to the seven churches, they would view this as seven different church ages, as if the church is going to go through the process metaphorically of what each church from Ephesus to Philadelphia, Laodicea, that the church would morph and experience all of these different problems in stages. Many of the reformers believed in a historic view of Revelation. They had strong and negative views about the Catholic Church and the papacy, and they would have strong views that Revelation was talking about many of the events that were happening in our Western society and culture. Many who hold a historical view believe that some of the events of Revelation have already happened, and yet there are still many to come. The next one is the idealist, the idealistic view of the scriptures. They're not concerned with whether or not this has happened or will happen. They're not concerned with the literalism in the text. They're just simply looking at the the symbols, the symbolic portrayal. The idealist version sees only a symbolic portrayal of the spiritual cosmic conflict between the kingdom of God and the powers of Satan. Then there's the futurist view. Now, most of the evangelical world has held to a futurist view. And inside of the futurist views, there's different types of that. There's a dispensational version of that. There's historic, uh, kind of uh, more classical futurist version. Now, the futurist version or interpretation, this view, views prophecy of future events depicted in symbolic terms which lead up to and accompany the end of the world. The futurist verse believes that most of the events have not taken place and the words in Revelation are predominantly symbolic and they lead up and accompany the end of the world. Inside of the futurist view is the dispensational view. This idea that God has worked in different dispensations over time. There's a dispensation of the Mosaic law. There was the apostles and the time of uh, the, the apostles and the writing of the scriptures. There's the church age from Acts 2 on. Then there will be the rapture of the church and there will be a great tribulation that the Antichrist will lead up ultimately to the second coming of Christ and the millennial reign of Christ. The preterist view, the historical view, the idealist view, the futurist view. Now, many of you are asking the question, what does this matter to me? And oftentimes, um, these types of studies, or particularly this type of language, um, I tell you what, when I wake up on Sunday mornings, these are the type of sermons that I can't wait to preach, right? Where it feels like you're running through mud. Like, what 
what he said, what, why are we in this view and that for like, am I in a college class? Am I in a lecture? Man, I thought we were going to save that for the midweek Bible study. Can I tell you that most churches in, in our culture today have moved the, um, the discipleship of their people to the midweek and they've saved Sunday morning for an evangelistic time to gather more people and bring crowds together. Can I just tell you that our goal here is if you're far from Christ, we, we want to help you bring you close to Christ. But the primary purpose of us gathering on Sunday morning is for the church of Jesus Christ to gather together, to behold who he is, to submit to his word, and then carry out the mission of Jesus when we leave here. And so we're not going to leave primary. I know you're busy people. And we don't, as a church, as a church organization, we don't want to constantly fill your time with, hey, come to this Bible study or this meeting or this potluck. We want you to be doing that with your neighbors. We want you to be doing that in your community. And if you're always at the church, when are you reaching the community around you? So that means all the more you got to get here so that we can wrestle on Sunday mornings with these types of things. Here's why I want to lay before you these interpretations, is I want you to hear that there's many different ways to look at this. And over time, we're going to wrestle with each one of these views. Each of these views take different stances in different places. In different chapters, you'll find that one view fits more than the other view. And that uh, one of the best ways to look at this, according to... Uh, George Eldon Ladd, and we've put a resource in the lobby. Many, many of those books have, have, have already gone, and we're going to buy more. It, it, it's a book called uh, Last Things by George Eldon Ladd. It was originally written in, in, in like the, the early 70s, and, and it was written for the laity of the church, the, the average person who came to the church. And some people go, man, this is a theology book. This is a study of last things. But see, I I think in years past, we were more diligent about helping our people really understand. And here's what I don't want to do. I don't want to leave TikTok to be your teachers. I got a TikTok last night. Love you. Sent me a TikTok of a dude in a truck driver. Love him. He's just teaching me the Bible. Love it. But I said, hey, don't let TikTok be your teacher. Don't let memes be your ministers. Don't allow the patterns of this world actually look and go, where did I get that from? Where do I look to? I want you to know that there are different ways to view this. That that I have to wrestle with each one of these views. The preterist view. It is Jewish Christian apocalyptic literature, and I can't remove myself from it. Ladd says that a partial preterist view and a futurist view is probably the best way to view this. That there are things in it that are uniquely to this genre, but then there are much of things that are to come. And in a preterist view, I can actually view and say, some of this happened and will continue to happen. That's what makes sense of John saying, I tell you the Antichrist has already come and there are many coming. And the Antichrist is him who denies that Jesus is Christ, the son of the living God. So I gotta wrestle with these views. Here's what I want you to look at this passage 
this opening part. What can we take away today? I want you to look at verse nine. Because all theology, according to C.S. Lewis, is practical. That I can actually look at this book and I can go, man, th- this is heavy stuff. I, I don't know where, where I fit at. It, are things to come? Have much of the book already been written? Is it a Jewish code that I can't figure out? Or can I actually be diligent in my study? Can I wrestle with what I believe so that it drives my behavior? Verse nine says this, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation. Number, the second bullet point on your sermon note sheet, John saw himself as a partner in the tribulation. Now here's something that we already have to wrestle with. This is something that we as a Western society and our American culture have to deal with is that we as individuals, and psychologists suggest this, that human beings avoid suffering at all costs. It's the, if man has a purpose, if it's a little muggy inside, he'll turn the AC on, even if it's winter. We love AC in the winter, don't we? It's a little muggy, and it's too cold outside, so I don't want to open the window. I can, <clears throat> right? We, we will find ways to move towards comfort. And here's what I want to suggest to you, that oftentimes what I hear preached in platforms And when it comes to eschatology is no different than what happens in their everyday sermons, which is oftentimes a message of if you follow Jesus, all your problems will be fixed and it will go well with you. Can I just tell you that if your theology doesn't have room for the person of Jesus, then it is bad theology. Did Jesus have zero problems? Did Jesus have uh, only good relationships? Remember that one guy was close to him, betrayed him? (laughs) This idea that if you follow Jesus, then you'll never face trial. You'll never face trouble. And that if you follow Jesus, if you give, you pray, you serve, then everything like a code. And if you say the right words, read the right verses, you wake up in the morning, you do your personal devo, then things will be well. And let me tell you, if you read this book, what you're going to find is in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart that the one you serve, his name is Jesus, has overcome the world. That Christianity is not escapism. Christianity is a God who is with us in the mix of trouble. This is the only way that we can find hope is we're in the middle of trials and troubles. And sometimes we in our Western American culture are so sanitized to the troubles of the world that has affected how we view the last things, the end of things. We have an eschatology that says that we'll get the hell out of here before hell breaks loose. And yet if you were in Iran today, if you were on the Gaza Strip, if you were in Israel, if you were in the underground church in China, 
Many of them would say, pray for us, for we are facing tribulation. And yet our mindset has been the rapture. Jesus will not let us suffer. We'll get out of here. And yet John opens this book. This is what you're going to have to wrestle with as we go forward. Did you read that or were you taught that? Because here's what John says. John, your brother and partner in the tribulation. He saw that his immediate present reality, he's going to say, I was put on an island, on a prison island. He was exiled to this small little island called Patmos. It was a prison camp. And he says he was put there on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Now, many people argue about the date in which this particular book is written. I wrestle with the date of when it was written as well because it has immense implications. You go, why does that matter? Well, there's events that have taken in history that maybe John is talking about that will be fulfilled, particularly 70 AD, when the emperor of Rome sieged Jerusalem and invaded Jerusalem and destroyed their temple. And this was an event like no other. No modern event was like when the temple was destroyed and they sieged and murdered and persecuted and destroyed the city of Jerusalem in 70 AD. Many people believe all of the books of the Bible, all of the canon of scriptures, the epistles, the words of the prophets, the book of Hebrews is written because they were continuing to do sacrifice, that the temple was still intact, that most of our books are written prior to 70 AD. And some of the book of Revelation is talking in prophetic ways towards this prophecy of 70 AD. Jesus will give a pro- prophetic word, and you'll have to wrestle with how he, inter- how he talks about uh, this particular event in Matthew 24, the Olivet Discourse. Jesus says, I tell you, within a generation, he was saying this in, in 33 AD, In 33 AD, he would have said that I tell you that not a single stone of the temple will be left unturned within a generation. Now, a generation is 40 years. He said that in AD 33, and by AD 70, Rome sacked Jerusalem and turned every stone of the temple mount upside down down. It's one of the most powerful prophetic prophecies in the history of the world. Jesus actually gave it a time stamp. Within a generation, this will happen. It's a powerful move. But depending on how you date the book of Revelation, you'll have to reinterpret that. You'll have to say a generation was a length of time, not 40 years. And there'll be a rebuilding of a temple and then a a future destruction of that temple. The book of Revelation, most scholars believe it was written in AD 95, around the mid-90s. Even our sermon clip, 
which we didn't make. We had someone make it for us. It already had that date on there. And I thought, man, that's going to be an interesting thing. And it's like AD 95, you see that date and it puts in your mind. There was one historian that would date the time of John being on Patmos to a certain emperor that would put him in the mid 90s. Now, there's internal evidence in Revelation that would suggest, and other scholars would suggest it was written earlier. We'll have to wrestle with that as we go. What's the point, Pastor Sam? The point that he lays before here is that from the time of Jesus, Jesus says, no servant is greater than his master. If they hated me, they'll hate you. He says, if, you, if, if I've suffered, you too pick up your cross and follow after me. Jesus tells us that in this world, we will face difficulty, trials, and tribulations. And across the world right now, there are many who are facing that. And yet, John goes on and he sees a vision. He sees a vision of Jesus. He sees one like the son of man, which is a reference to Daniel 7, the Jewish Superman coming on the clouds. He saw him and his hair was white like wool. His face shined like the sun and his eyes burned like flames. And then out of his mouth was a two-edged sword. Now here's where this literal part comes in. If it's literally a two-edged sword out of his mouth, it's a pretty grotesque picture. What's he saying? He's saying that the words from his mouth cut like a sword. For Hebrews says this, that his word is like a two-edged sword, piercing and dividing to the asunders of the soul and the spirit, and divides even the very intent of the heart. So right off the bat, we're gonna have to wrestle with, how do you see it? Is it literally a sword? Yes, because when Jesus speaks, it cuts. Peter preaches a sermon in the book of Acts, the day of Pentecost, and it says, we were cut at the heart. They said, what do we do? He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you. Do something about what you hear. The book of Revelation is gonna paint for us a picture of the gospel. The last point on your note sheet, Revelation is a cosmic or supernatural view of the gospel. How do I know that? He saw a vision of Jesus. In a trance, he saw one like the Son of Man. And here's what Jesus said, fear not. When you see the world around you, when you open and you're scrolling and you're anxious and you're afraid, Jesus is saying, fear not. Is he, is he saying that loosely? Is he he's saying that like when you tell a kid before they get a shot or something, you're like, this is going to hurt. 
Don't be afraid. It's no big deal. And they're like, wait a second. Right? Like, no, no, no. Is he saying this without merit? Why is he saying this? Fear not. Why? I'm the first. I'm the beginning of the story. Fear not. Why? I'm the end of the story. Fear not. For I am the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. Fear not. Why? Because I have the keys of death and hates. Fear not, for I have good news. What's the practical thing here? You got to walk away. And you got to go every time I feel fear about, anxious about world events and trying to find a calendar and trying to find a chart and trying to link up this world event and when this happens or this happens or am I going to peer into this book and see the person of Jesus and hear and see the supernatural view of the gospel, what Jesus has accomplished through the cross, his resurrection and the kingdom that he rules and reigns right here, right now. Christ Jesus is in charge and he has the power to bring peace in the middle of the most difficult trial, in the most difficult of circumstances. He has overcome death and hell. And for those who believe in Jesus, life and death look fundamentally different. All of a sudden you realize Jesus is true reality. He is here, he is now, and he is yet to come. So take heart. In this world, you will face trouble. But our hope is found in Jesus Christ. This is the good news. This is the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, Over the next few weeks, Lord, we're going to wrestle with these texts and we're going to be tempted to see our, ourselves, our current events. Jesus, it's, it's so like us to feel like if we could just figure it all out, we wouldn't be anxious. Some of our motivation, Jesus, is, is of pure heart, but it's misguided. We want to know the future. But you are the future. You are the past. You're the alpha. You're the omega. You're the beginning. You're the end. You're the author and the finisher of our faith. And instead of going looking for the code and looking for the calendar, we would look to you. And in you, we would find peace and hope. And it would be contagious. And it would cause us not to fret or fear, but to prepare a dinner table for those around. That what we would do 
is all the more as we see the time approaching. Jesus said this was the last hour. John said this was the last days. Things soon to come. God, we don't have it figured out. And time, from your perspective, is far much different than our perspective. And so while we wait, we'll gather together. We'll love one another. We'll encourage one another in the middle of our trials, in the middle of our tribulation, because you have overcome. You are the great champion. And we look to you, Lord Jesus. We thank you and we praise you. And let everything we say and do bring glory to God and good to this valley. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Will you give Jesus one more hand clap of praise?